0: welcome to Movember Radio. I'm Oshie Ginsberg. This is a weekly podcast about men's health and the issues that men face today. Movember is a community of over 5 million mobros and Mo sisters all around the world and each week we speak with someone from that community who is passionate about changing the face of men's health. For more information you can go to Movember.com, Movemberradio.com or find us on Facebook searching, you guessed it, Movember. Now Last month, the Movember Foundation launched an exciting campaign to raise awareness and get blokes to know thy nuts, encouraging men to self-examine their testicles and get to know what's normal for your nuts. If you think something's not quite right, it's quite simple. See a doctor. Movember Foundation CEO and co-founder, Adam Garoni, is uh, taking over Movember Radio and interviewing some key people to raise testicular cancer awareness. This episode features Andy Puttycomb. He is a meditation and mindfulness expert, founder of the number one mindfulness app, Headspace, and is a testicular cancer survivor. In 2013, Andy started receiving treatment for testicular cancer, and he reflects in this show on how mindfulness has helped him cope with the physical, emotional, and mental impact of the illness. Before this, in his early 20s, midway through a university degree in sports science, and he made the unexpected decision to travel to the Himalayas to study meditation instead. It was the beginning of a 10-year journey which took him around the world, culminating with his ordination as a Tibetan Buddhist monk in northern India. His transition back to regular life in 2004 was no less extraordinary. Training briefly at moscow state circus he returned to london where he completed a degree in circus arts with the conservatoire of dance and drama while drawing up early plans for what was later to become headspace certainly quite a background it's a great conversation between adam and andy uh, who lives in venice california with his wife and son i hope you enjoy the show
1: Andy, thanks for uh, joining us here on Movember Radio. Um, I've been looking forward to this chat because uh, it, it, we can um, we're going to talk about two of the three issues that we focus on at, at Movember. It's testicular cancer, and then also mental health. And uh, you're uniquely positioned to you know, talk <laughs> talk about both of them really. And um, I think I first bumped into you in 2013 in yeah, LA. That's right. You just uh, Moved across from London yeah. and had to set up Headspace and build the organisation, the brand, um, and the movement. Really, um, and it was a very similar journey to what I had started, yeah. you know, five or six years prior, which is relocating from Australia to build the Movember Foundation and a brand and a yeah. movement. Yeah, it is amazing to sit here now in, in these, uh, this, this amazing office and see your yeah. team and the work you're doing. It's
2: crazy. Three three years, a lot happens in. In three years i think we both came out to california
1: primarily for surfing if i remember our
2: surfing and weather our, our yeah. original conversation something <laughs> like that these other things happen around it
1: yeah, yeah yeah and it's amazing how all that stuff can quickly overtake your yeah. your life yeah. um we're actually going to come back to to headspace and we'll talk about the organization and, and mental health sure. i want to first talk about testicular cancer you're a survivor and i'm not sure whether you consider yourself a survivor or is there a label or i I don't i really do you know one of the the most interesting things for
2: me going through that journey of cancer was realizing that i really didn't kind of relate very well to a lot of the terms that are out there right i know survivor is a really kind of popular one Mm. i don't know i didn't really feel like i played any great kind of part in it and i just felt it was kind of a part of this journey life Mm. and I didn't really have any say, kind of whether it, when it started, when it finished, if it finished, mm. and how it kind of changed over time. And I don't really kind of feel either, I don't know if this is kind of common or not, but I don't really kind of feel like there's an end point either. I no. feel like survivors sort of suggest that there is, something has finished, yeah. you know, and like, okay, I've survived it. Mm. For me, like, cancer is, it continues to be a part of my life, it's in my yeah. mind, it's part of my consciousness now, and part of the journey that I share with my with my wife and my family, and yeah. I'm very grateful that at the moment there's kind of nothing there but I also kind of have in mind as well that just because it's not there right now doesn't mean it might not be in the future and mm. and such a big part of kind of mentally training the mind for me has been about kind of being okay with resting in uncertainty and mm. not kind of saying okay right this is good and that's bad and then it was really terrible and now i survived I feel kind of yeah it was a it's like the around kind of that When people go through that journey of cancer, there's often this idea of kind of fighting. Yeah, and battling it. And battling it. And for me, it was like like the antithesis of how I wanted to kind of approach it. And I I really felt that the more I was kind of fighting, like who are we fighting but ourselves, you know, like the the cancer is kind of, it's in our own body. So I kind of really felt the more I could create uh, a calm Mm. and conducive environment for healing, Mm. that that for me personally was a.
1: was a, a kind of an, an easier thing to relate to, and how often do you go and get screened? But every three months, yeah. And, and so, how do you deal with the anxiety that you know going into you know, that scan and not yeah. knowing whether there's going to be some black dots or? Yeah, yeah. It's changed over time. Obviously, the
2: the more scans you go for, and and the less you kind of you hear back, the the easier it becomes, right. and the more kind of relaxed become. I remember. Um, on one of my very first early ones where i just found out I had testicular cancer. And they knew it was, they'd done some initial kind of stuff and they knew it was quite aggressive and quite serious and they got me back in for a scan the next day. And going into it, the doctor said, uh, it's I feel like I should warn you before you have these scans. There's a very good chance that it would have spread, you know, and given the, how aggressive it is, mm. it, it may well have spread kind of all the way to your brain, you know. So he kind of set me up with this idea. So I went into the scan, kind of feeling pretty nervous. And um, and this guy was was there doing the x-rays or the CT. And and he came over and he he, he took them and they were behind a, a screen so I couldn't kind of see. And he just came over to me after kind of taking them and he just put put his hand on on my chest and he said pray for you so uh, th- at, th- at this point I'm kind of thinking like if again any nervousness I think okay well th- that's it I'm kind of I'm done you know right and uh, so it turned out it, it hadn't spread at all and it was probably just a really bad bit of nursing <laughs> um, however well meant it was <laughs> but I think kind of that was my benchmark for kind of anxiety going into scans and ever since then all the others have felt kind of quite mm. quite easy by comparison In
1: you live a very yeah. healthy life. I know that both physically and mentally. Yeah. Uh, on the other side of the the cancer um, diagnosis and then treatment, yeah. did you change anything in, in your life? Yeah, I
2: did actually. You know, I was we'd uh, we you know we moved we moved country, we'd moved the, the headquarters of the company. Um, I'd moved my wife with me. We'd moved house. Uh, we were going through, you know, we weren't growing quite as fast as we are now, but we were still kind of growing pretty quickly. And like any startup founder, uh, I'll tell you, well, you know, um, you're working pretty, pretty long hours. So short term, I, I really took some very kind of drastic action, and I kind of I took, I took six weeks off work, which may not sound like a huge amount, but actually, when you're in the middle of that growth, that is a, it's a massive amount of time. I chose not to go down the, the chemo, so the doctor prescribed kind of uh, chemo and after, after the operation. I chose not to go down that route. I, I tracked down a doctor who was more willing to take a more kind of holistic approach uh, up in Seattle. and we went uh, we changed our diet, so my wife was incredibly supportive of this and we went kind of on a, a raw vegan kind of diet, uh, which we're pretty much still on now, kind of a you know, year and a half, two years later. I um, started taking a bit more time out for exercise again, which had kind of dropped off a little bit as I was working, working more hours. So I did. I, I, it really helped me. It, it kind of it reinvigorated me and it, it re inspired me to be interested in my physical health. I think for many years I'd been very interested in my in my mental health and the mind, mm-hmm. but it really kind of got me passionate again about kind of looking after the health of the body.
1: Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because, for the majority of guys, and speaking mm. generally, they're more focused on their physical health than, than yeah. mental health, which, which yeah. we'll get into in, in, in a, in a yeah. little bit. But um, so, winding back, how did you know something was wrong? Yeah, it still staggers me. Kind of,
2: you know, you know, from the health advice, they would say, kind of check and if you feel anything. And I was someone who who did check, and I didn't kind of feel anything until one morning I woke up. The only way I can describe it is, is one testicle was at least twice the size of the other. and This literally happened And it overnight. happened overnight. Wow. And it was really tricky. My, um, uh, my wife, her, her niece had come to stay with us, and we were going away for the weekend. I thought, I don't want to kind of say anything. Cause, you know. So I drove them all down to, to Palm Springs, and uh, there were a few of us in the car. I dropped them off at the hotel and said, I'll be back in a minute. I just need to check something out. And I went to ER down at the, in Palm Springs. And they had a look, and they were like, wow, okay, you need to, you need to see someone really kind of quickly. Mm. So I was, I was in with a, a specialist within kind of, sort of 24, 48 hours. Mm.
1: Right. Which, which is, having talked to a number of testicular cancer um, survivors or, or guys yeah, that have gone yeah. through it, um, one of the big challenges with testicular cancer is the time between um, being told you have cancer yeah. and, and ending up on the operating table. Yeah. Is literally hours or days. So quick. And and a lot of guys get totally overwhelmed with that, yeah. forego second opinions. Yeah. Um so I'd be interested do you did you were you thinking enough to go, all right, I'm gonna get a second opinion and think about all the side effects, fertility and
2: Yeah, it was I didn't go and get a second opinion, I did. I sent the scans over to a doctor friend in the UK just to say, hey look, what, what do you think, um, this is what's being recommended, uh, but it, it did all happen so quickly, um, and I was in on the operating table within sort of four or five days, um, but I knew there was something, like there was something kind of really badly wrong and it was getting increasingly painful, and I knew something had to ha- happen. And I don't think at any time did I think, okay, is there any chance of, of saving the testicle? I just kind of thought, okay, I'm, I'll be happy when they take it out mm. and remove it. And uh, it was more when we got on to kind of, okay, how do you how do you follow that up in terms of operation and chemo and that kind of stuff? Then I became a lot more interested and I got six opinions, not just a second opinion. Right. And I basically just kept asking people to like <laughs> till I got the opinion that, that I wanted. <laughs> did you liked, yeah, that yeah. I like it. Yeah.
1: Uh, and, and so fertility then becomes uh, yeah. a significant issue. And um, again, I know this because I've talked to a number of guys that have been through testicular cancer. Um, but I assume, okay, you go down to one testicle, do you produce half as much sperm? Mm. Do you produce half as much testosterone? And it's been interesting, um, the, everyone I've spoken to says, yes, initially that is the case, That right. your body adapts pretty yeah. quickly, yeah. A- and the other remaining testicle actually sort of doubles down and, and yeah. literally produces guess, yeah. you know, th- twice as much testosterone and, and sperm. So I'd just be interested in the whole you know, fertility and your experience with that.
2: Yeah, it's, it's really interesting, because we, um, we've been talking about kids kind of leading up to that time. And one of the first things uh, the consultant, the doctor, said, you know, you guys, you have a couple of days before the op. You know, we are going to follow up with kind of chemo or radio, yeah. and uh, you know, you need to go and make a make a deposit. Mm-hmm. And that got us kind of talking pretty seriously about having having kids. And we even kind of thought, like, hey, look, we got forty eight hours. Like, should we just should we just go for it now? You know, um, and by that stage, <laughs> it was so painful that wasn't really kind of an, an option. But we kinda of went and made the made the deposit. And within two months post surgery, they soon got pregnant. Wow. Um, so naturally. If, naturally. Without us even kind of going down that route. So if there was any doubt in my mind of, of the other testicle not being able to kind of cope, it was it was a rave at <laughs> uh, that moment. Yeah.
1: So for all the guys out there listening, what what, what are the couple of key messages you would like to to share with them around um testicular cancer
2: yeah so i think number one kind of don't don't be afraid of it you know it's something that we should be aware of and and care about like any other kind of part of our body i feel but like shouldn't kind of it's the right way of phrasing it but we shouldn't kind of isolate the, the the testicles and kind of not all the like. I know it's testicular cancer awareness month, but I feel like we should just take greater care, pay greater attention to our bodies as a whole. Testicles are kind of one part of that. Take the time to check them. You know, there's some great advice out there. I'm not going to give that advice as to how how to do it. But, yeah, make make sure you do and talk about it. I I really feel kind of it's one of those things. it's, It's kind of it's down there. You don't really want to kind of think about it. It's not necessarily something you're going to chat about with your mates. But there's a pretty good chance. What amazed me was once I'd had it, and I started talking to other people, just how many people kind of said, "Right, hey, yeah, I've had that, but I never kind of talked about it." And and so that's the thing. I think like a sense of kind of community, really, yeah, discussing it, being open about it, and making sure you you check regularly.
1: Yeah, and importantly, if if you notice something not right, go straight to the doctor. Hundred um, percent. And oh, more often than not, it's not going to be cancer, but yeah. Um, it can be in, in early detection with almost every disease is, is yeah. the most important um, yeah. part of um, getting, getting through it.
2: And then also worth saying as well, the, the situation, the scenario, which I described, which was just overnight, I think is, at least according to doctors doctor, is really unusual. Normally, there are some really obvious early signs. And if you're checking, looking out for it regularly, you're going to catch those early signs. So, yeah, it's not kind of, you know, just all happens
1: overnight. Right. So I wanted to switch gears now and, and talk um, about mental health and mm. wellness. And your, I'm not sure even you'd call it a career, um, <laughs> yeah. but, but your life path is, is fascinating. Ten years as um, a Buddhist monk, ordained Buddhist monk.
2: Yeah, I wasn't ordained the whole time, but ten years kind of a way training to be, yeah,
1: a right. Buddhist monk. So what inspired you to that path yeah
2: it's hard to put into like a, a few words I, I think a number of things I was very fortunate growing up so I'm a very progressive mother um who was you know she was a, a counselor She stress management counseling she did hypnotherapy she was you know she'd take us for acupuncture rather than to go to the doctors she took us to meditation classes at the age of 11 so it was kind of there at the the foundation was laid pretty early, and I think it just—I don't know. Sometimes, when I reflect on it, I think it was there were there were certain things in life that definitely sped up that journey. There were in my late teens, there were a couple of things that happened. My my stepsister was uh, killed in a uh, car accident. She was cycling, and the the driver fell asleep at the wheel. And then, just before that, I was in—I was part of a group standing on a. A sidewalk and a drunk driver crashed into the group and killed a couple of people. I think those things definitely kind of sped up that feeling of there must be something more than this. But I just felt like there was, yeah, just this passion for understanding. I had the mind, you know. I, I wasn't, you know, the intellectual journey is fine, you know, and it, it tells us so much. But you can read a book and it will tell you, oh, you should be more relaxed. Don't be stressed. But that doesn't really have an impact necessarily in, in your life you're in a really stressful situation you feel stressed you might remember the book's advice but it doesn't make you feel less stressed so it's kind of like okay so what's underneath all of those ideas and how do you actually get to the the point where it starts to become a part of who you are rather than just
1: a, a nice idea in the mind so, so what's a day, a typical day in the life of a Buddhist monk? Okay. What, is, what, what, what is, what does that look like? Yeah,
2: I mean, you don't know. And, well, um, I mean, and, uh, from Hollywood, I mean, it's like you're,
1: yeah. you know, it's hitting
2: big bells or walking around. <laughs> and I'm not sure. So, some monasteries, maybe. I think. So, if I, I think the most. Um, but there are lots of different types of monasteries and some are more kind of working type monasteries where you may be doing some gardening, some cooking, some cleaning alongside the meditation as well. The more kind of extreme, I guess, is kind of where you go into retreat and you might do that. Some people do it for a decade. Uh, my longest kind of retreat in a row was about a year or so. And, and in, in there, you're meditating for anywhere between, again, depending on the monasteries so of 16, maybe 18 hours a day doesn't really leave a lot of kind of leisure time or spare time. And so any time you have around that you're kinda of, looking after your, your stuff and, you know, making making your bed. You sleep on the you sleep on the floor. You get up. Um if I think of Burma as probably the most kinda of interesting uh schedule. You get up at two in the morning. Uh you start your meditation kinda of soon after, around two thirty. Uh you have breakfast at five and then you have so is it a vegan diet or, or um, vegetarian? Or it dep- Again, it really depends where you go. So the, in Tibet, for example, it's really difficult for them to grow crops in that kind of environment. Right. So actually, it's quite dairy-based and there's meat as well. Uh, some of the, the warmer countries, it tends to be more kind
1: of it's curry vegetables and rice, that mm-hmm. kind of thing, even for breakfast. So going into that environment, as I understand it, um, you give up all your... Material symbols yeah. of success yeah. and consumerism, and even
2: even your hair. Wow, it's like that is part of the. That if people are ever wondering why kind of monks have a, a shaven head, it's kind of like when you go into the monastery. It's a hygiene thing as well, but you are also kind of you're giving up everything. You're giving up your worldly life, so you give up all your possessions, all of your clothes, your hair. You even give up your name and you take on a you take on a monastic
1: name, and and yeah. And, wow. <laughs> that's it there must be such a humbling experience and, and so different to the, the world yeah. we live in in, you know, yeah. in in the US the, the home of capitalism and, and consumerism yeah. where you know cars and houses and clothes are all symbols of success and yeah um, to, to go into that environment I mean fascinating
2: it's different I think at that time I was I don't know if it was because I was a bit younger too I was uh, early twenties, and I had such a, a kind of a passion for it at that time. I genuinely didn't really kind of care about mm. the stuff. I don't know if I would got to a point in my mind where I was so desperate to kind of find something, or if there was just this kind of drive to understand the mind. But either way, and I was actually really happy at that time to leave
1: everything behind. Well, yeah, it was. It's one of the questions I had a little bit later, but I might ask it now. Um, so you've had different. Aspects and facets of your life. Yeah. On reflection, when when were you the happiest? Mm. Someone
2: asked me that a couple of days ago. Just a friend, you know. We were we were chatting. In fact, I found some. Uh, my parents came out to visit, and um, and they bought some old photographs from the the monastery, or just after I'd left the monastery. I was still a monk at the time, and I'd just come out at that one year retreat. I was talking about. I can't say it was that the happiest because there were so many different bits of life that kind of make us feel happy and, you know, I could say, you know, whether it was meeting my wife or having our son and, you know, there were so many different kind of components. But if I think when was my mind at its kind of freshest and most relaxed, it was at the end of that retreat, you know, I just Mm. had a year of just sitting and the mind working in a a very different way, you know, not a lot of stimulation, not a lot of distraction Mm. and it was I kind of understood why people might be tempted to to do that for the rest of their life. Well, wow. yeah.
1: did you miss anything from after in, leaving the monastery? Well, no, no, no. no uh, when going in, in in the monastery and and knowing all the trappings of life and things. Yeah. Oh, were you that focused on? I was. <laughs> I was pretty. I was pretty motivated yeah. just on on that thing
2: actually. Occasionally, I might get a letter from a friend, and and it was old school kind of letters, no emails mm. back in in those days. Uh, at least, not the monastery, and you know, and I might, you know, I'd hear about them kind of getting married or having kids and that kind of thing. So I, I missed, I missed the feeling of being around friends and family. Mm. But beyond that, I didn't miss a huge amount.
1: It's interesting. Um, you, you know, we focus on men's health, and, and some of the healthiest and and uh, longest living sort of segments of our society are, are some of the the monks and yeah. Part of that, I think, um, and certainly in our research, more in the, the, the broader spectrum, is, is the importance around social connections. Yeah. And as I understand it, the sense of community yeah. uh, that you have there, and also purpose, it, yeah, is you know fundamental to, to living in that environment. And I was yeah. just wondering, from your experience there, you know, how important. I think it's
2: you, huge. I think you. I'd actually take you one step further. I think that it is the sense of community there in the immediate environment. But it's also as much to do with the intention. I think when most monasteries stress that when you do your, your meditation and you're looking after your mind, training your mind, the intention or the motivation is to benefit not only yourself but the people around you. Not just, in again, in the immediate environment, but beyond that. So funny enough, even though you're shut away from the, the world, there's a feeling of real kind of connection with the world and with a very positive sense of purpose. So you're, you're sitting there minute after minute, hour after hour, actually doing something, kind of mentally kind of connecting with that idea of community on the biggest mm. possible scale and at the same time, hopefully
1: like improving
2: that in some way.
1: Mm. I spend a lot of time thinking about the difference between uh, being successful and, and being significant. And I yeah. think as you get a little bit older, you start to reflect on yeah. your legacy and um, what you'll be known for. And uh, when I think about it, you know, my personal experience was you know the first part of adult life was life was focused on being successful and that was you yeah know, a- academics and athletics um in the military and progress through that and then you know jobs and then the material trappings that come with that that give you that sense of pleasure yeah. and status yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you get to this point yeah. where you, go, well, you know there's much more <laughs> yeah. to life and I think people realize that clearly at different stages and I think a lot about now um being significant yeah. and what that means and you know for me that's about serving other people yeah. um, less fortunate than yourself and that, that can even be in a family environment with children and things like that yeah. so i would be just interested in your perspective on you know legacy and significance and yeah. do you consciously <laughs> think about that? I, You make me think maybe
2: I should have done <laughs> I, I, I haven't yet um, maybe I'm I'm in denial about my age um, I don't know um, but no I, I haven't I kind of I think the, the, the training, that I did, as I say, really instils this idea of the importance of, of serving others. And I think there's so many different ways. I think sometimes you can, you know, put that in a little kind of box and think it's only if we're out there kind of in the front lines in, in Africa and we're kind of, you know, treating people directly. I think there are so many different ways of, of serving people, you know, as you said, kind of very close around us or on a on a bigger scale. And I don't really mind too much like what my X years or if I'm even remembered in time I won't even be remembered. None of us kinda of <laughs> will be you know. And I feel that's a really healthy kind of way. Like what do we want to have achieved? I feel is maybe that's the the, the question and and I feel like I got, if I could have done anything it was to cause a change in conversation around the way we look after the health of the mind Mm. and this really useful but inaccessible tool called meditation that lived in the Himalayas somewhere, hopefully kind of made that more accessible, demystified it to the point where people will hopefully in time, and it may not happen in my lifetime, who knows, but people will kind of treat it in the same way as brushing their teeth and in the same way that you pause every day to brush your teeth Uh, So that they stay healthy and well, Mm. you know, in the same way, we'll pause for 10, 15 minutes a day and look after the health of the mind.
1: Mm. Which It's a perfect segue to to Headspace. Um, So I I do know the backstory here, but um, let's start with what is Headspace, um, the inspiration behind it and Mm. what it's trying to achieve. I feel that really does sort of sum up what Headspace is, you know, we're...
2: We set out, and it's important to say, it's, uh, because I'm the, the voice on, on the app, people often think it's, it's me that set it up. And there's a good friend and co-founder, Rich, and we did it together, and it wouldn't be what it is without Rich. And Rich brings a very creative um, kind of approach to it, um, whereas mine's perhaps more sort of practice content. And, and together, I think we just both felt really passionate. Like, there is this skill that exists, people don't want to do it they're put off by the stuff around it the language around it maybe they think it's only for hippies it's only for people who do yoga or eat granola or whatever it might be and so it's such a shame you know, I remember coming back from the monastery I'd even I remember coming back one time in my in my robes and going back to my local home hometown and the boys were there in the in the pub and they said <laughs> come on you've got to come in and I'm like guys how you know, can and eventually I did they sat there with pints I sat there with water we're talking about and they were sort of like it's fine for you you know you're set out there in the mountains like there's no stress Uh, you should try living with my wife or you should try (laughs) living with my work and there'll be all this kind of stuff and and I was kind of thinking this is crazy because you know there's no reason at all why they couldn't learn that same skill that I was learning over there for sure the conditions were a lot more conducive where, where I was but there was no reason and I just thought wow imagine if they could be translated and delivered in a way that felt really kind of meaningful, no matter what our background or lifestyle or conditioning or culture or age or gender.
1: Just thought that would be, uh, yeah, something something special. You are right because it's sort of when I think about meditation, and, and I've certainly tried it. I just find it so hard, yeah. like impossible, you know, to go yeah. sit still for ten minutes yeah. and not have yeah. stuff come into my mind and. You know, I often think, and maybe this is naive, that when I am surfing or in the ocean, I get, you know, unconsciously I focus on that activity and I sort of think that that's my meditation. I'm not sure whether that's right or wrong, but, you know, for for guys like me who would really struggle to, you know, not think about
2: stuff, how, how do you... It's a, re- it's a really interesting point and, and I love it because quite often people say I don't need to meditate, I've got my running, that's my meditation or, or surfing and I, lo- I love I love surfing as much as you and I and I know that space of mind that you're talking about, I feel it when I go in the water as well. I think the challenge is if we become dependent on any one thing, an activity if, if our peace of mind our calm and our clarity depend on that, that's really quite limited so if, if we're at work and you know and I don't know, something really difficult happens, it's very difficult to turn around to your team and say, you know what, guys, I'm just going to go for a surf because <laughs> I just need to kind of get a bit of clarity. I'll be back in a couple of hours. You know? <laughs> so I, the, the, the beauty of meditation is, yes, all those things are really important and I would encourage anyone to kind of be out in nature exercising, whatever kind of gets you in touch with that feeling and that space, but at the same time to go one step further to actually train the mind so that, it's not just about when you sit there with your eyes closed, it's how do you carry that into your life so that when someone does cut you up in traffic or when you do have an argument with your partner or when your baby does wake you up in the middle of the night, that you don't simply react from a habitual sense and get stressed out about it. Instead, there's that space in the mind where you can kind of come at it from a different perspective and kind of feel all right about it.
1: And, and that's just something, just practice. That's all it is. And so that... Uh, the whole thing with Headspace is is allocating ten minutes a day uh, at a minimum. I yeah. guess yeah, um, up That's to, up to what morning. sixteen hours a day. <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: not not available on the app yet. Right. It's quite quite an advanced kind of app.
1: Yeah, the Movember Foundation. One of one of our focus areas is around mental health, and and really when you distill it down, why do we focus on it? It's because the we've got a hidden health crisis in in the rates of suicide with men. Yeah and um, three out of four suicides of men and where we've decided to focus and where we believe we can have the greatest impact is really encouraging men to be mentally healthy. Yeah. And one of the triggers for guys to potentially go down that tragic path is is a transition in their life or, yeah. or an issue. Yeah. So that could be uh, relationship breakup, financial issues, retirement, which my dad is just going through at the moment even becoming a dad. Yeah. Um uh sexual orientation, a bunch of stuff. And yeah. and the other thing that we found is guys inadvertently um also become socially isolated when in their thirties plus. So yeah. they they put their family and work first. Yeah. So they've really got no one close enough to them that they could go, hey, I'm struggling. Yeah. And we're sort of wired not
2: yeah. to, to
1: to do that as, as guys and put our hand up for so I'm just interested in your perspective around you know, the, the daily ritual yeah. of meditation. And I guess that's a sort of a maybe a preventative measure, but when these moments that will invariably happen, particularly yeah. as we get older, um, yeah, how, how does that all factor in you, your perspective on that? It
2: seems to I have a couple of thoughts around it. I, I think the first thing to say is, is what's really surprised me actually sort of when I, I look at the journey of the app is that we have just as many men using it as women. In fact we actually have more male subscribers than we do female. I think it surprised all of us, actually. And when we went out and started doing some kind of focus group stuff around it, what we discovered was that, as you say, men don't want to share. And men also like to feel like they can cope. Like, you know, we never struggle with anything, right? Right. You know right. and there's a sense on, on the phone it's something so private they could be doing Headspace every single day they don't have to tell anyone about it they don't have to share it so there's not the kind of sense of or stigma of kind of okay I'm going to go and get counselling or I'm, gonna, I'm not suggesting it's a replacement for that but there is a, a sense of kind of privacy I think there's something quite quite interesting mm-hmm. in that I think mm-hmm. around how it's how it can be used we talk about it sort of either as a, as a vitamin Or an aspirin and I don't think either is right or wrong my preference of course is prevention and vitamin and you can use meditation if you get into a comfortable rhythm it's much less likely that you'll experience a lot of the stuff that you're trying to avoid but of course sometimes we kind of we miss that bit and we we're really struggling with something and it can be used to really good effect in those situations but of course when we're really stressed out, it's that much harder to, to learn a new skill because there's already so much kind of going on. So it will help, but it will help that much more. If you've, always, if you've got a little bit of runway beforehand, I think that's, the, that's the, the best approach. But all of the medical research has been done around management and treatment, and the results, uh, they still kind of amaze me that such a little amount of meditation can make that much difference.
1: Yeah, and I know you've you've done a lot of work around measuring the efficacy yeah. of um, that. I, I've read some. You know, when I was in the military, it was it was actually just starting to get introduced there, um, and, and which is potentially the most foreign environment you'd expect yeah. people to be meditating. Yeah. So, what are sort of the some of the top line sort of benefits that mm. you know have been sort of scientifically yeah. proven yeah. to really sell it to? All the men and women out there yeah. that are listening to this as to why, you know, it's only 10 minutes, by the way.
2: Yeah. So I think there, there are a whole kind of range there's, there's from mental, emotional, and physical. I think some of the more well-documented ones are around kind of improved immunity, decreased blood pressure or normalized blood pressure, decreased anxiety um, and stress and depression, Uh, In particular, the the relapse of depression. So if you're someone who's struggled with that in the past, chances of relapse are really kind of high. Meditation significantly reduces that to the point where it's actually more effective than medication when it comes to the relapse of depression. For me, one of the most exciting things to discover kind of on this journey was looking at the science of it was this idea of neuroplasticity. And we might think that our brains are kind of stuck and they just grow to a certain point and then that's kind of it. And what we now know through kind of fMRI scanning is that our brains, like every other part of our body, can grow and change and adapt. And in the same way as you go to the gym and you let's say, you're, you're working a particular muscle, and over time that gets thicker and stronger, every time you sit down to meditate, the, the part of the brain which is associated with feelings of happiness and positive well-being, that cortex is getting thicker And stronger, it's receiving more blood flow. The cells are kind of producing more quickly, and as a result of that, we spend more time in that place. So it's not just a a kind of a nice idea meditation. There is something, so just the mind. There is something happening to our brain, to our body, which helps us to feel better.
1: that's it's fascinating. Last question, Joe. So if you could pick up the phone and call eighteen-year-old Andy, yeah what <laughs> advice would you give him? He's the standard question. And, yeah. and would you encourage him to spend 10 years of life as a Buddhist monk? Maybe a few years more. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I would,
2: I, absolutely. I would I would say, go, go as quickly as you can to the monastery and kind of get yourself, you know, get yourself sorted. No, there was, I, I wouldn't change that at all. I think I would do it with a little more, uh, maybe a little more sensitivity, maybe not quite so rashly um, and I think maybe not so seriously you know I think the the temptation it's a really tricky balance right because we have to take this stuff seriously whether it's it's physical health mental health but there 's a certain irony when we 're really focusing hard on our happiness and to be relaxed you know rather than just of letting go a little more and not taking it so seriously and actually in doing that we find ourselves a lot happier and a lot more relaxed so i would just i would do it maybe a little more gently but if i could change anything uh i yeah i think i would i'd probably do just just the same
1: wow fantastic well thank you so much for spending it's a pleasure thanks for having Um, me on welcome radio cheers all right
0: That was Andy Puddecombe in conversation with Adam Garoni, Movember Foundation CEO and co-founder. Well, you can support testicular cancer awareness in many ways. Check out Movember.com and find out more about the Know Thy Nuts campaign. And you can download the Headspace app created by Andy Putty through the Apple Store, Google Play, and on Amazon. Thank you so much for listening. This episode was produced by Lavanya Nagendran. Audio production by Daryl Misson. Music by Toe Hider. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.